Welcome to the Ladies of LifeSite. We're ladies simply navigating the challenges and triumphs of this modern culture as moms, wives, sisters, and daughters. Join us each week as we discuss the raw questions and situations that we face through the lens of faith and freedom. So grab your cup of coffee, tea, or beverage of choice, and let's dive into this week's episode. Hi, everyone. I hope you're having a great week. Today, I am interviewing Samantha Stevenson. She is a wife, mom of three, a Catholic convert, and on top of that, she is a podcaster, blogger, writer, and culture changer. She recently led an effort called Renew LMU, where she's asking the administration of her alma mater to uphold their Catholic identity and not allow events to occur on their campus that go against the teachings of the Catholic Church. So, for instance, she just recently encouraged Loyola Marymount University to uh, not hold a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood on their campus, which they ended up doing. So she has been leading this effort, and we actually didn't have time to talk about this today, but I wanted to make sure that I shared it because I think it's speaks a lot about who Samantha is and in addition to who she is intellectually. Samantha is incredibly gifted in discussing bioethics and the theological implications of our culture's approach to maternal health, contraception, abortion, motherhood, parenting, and so much more. So we're so thrilled to have Samantha today because in today's episode, we discuss the roots of the confusion and distortions of truth in our culture when it comes to femininity and motherhood. We take a deep dive into contraception, our culture's approach to having children and how true femininity is actually being suppressed. Samantha gives her insight into how, as women, we can say yes to God's purpose for us and unlock the feminine genius. I hope you'll listen all the way through to this one. So without further ado, here is Samantha Stevenson. Well, Samantha, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. First, could you just share a little bit about who you are and your story? Sure. So, Samantha Stevenson, I am a Catholic convert. I became Catholic in college, and in that process, switched my major to theology, ended up getting degrees in, master's degrees in theology and in bioethics eventually. So, those are kind of my areas of interest and passion. I have three kiddos. My oldest is five. I have a three-year-old an 18-month-old and a fantastic husband who I like to say sort of funds my intellectual pursuits. I'm a stay-at-home mom, homeschooling mom, and right-from-home mom. I have a podcast that explores bioethics in the light of faith. It's a storytelling podcast. It goes kind of a deep dive into each subject over, over the course of a season. So season one explored genetic editing, and season two is going into reproductive technologies. I blog at mamapraise.com, and that's available as a podcast as well. And next fall, my first book will be coming out, and its final title is determined by the publisher, Our Sunday Visitor. But basically, it is a Catholic guide to the bioethics of motherhood and reproduction. You're in the process of writing a book, so could you talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this book and also go into more detail on some of the topics that you cover more specifically? Yeah, absolutely. So the book actually came kind of as a a fruit of a collaboration between myself and my editor. I had submitted an entirely different manuscript 
that was basically about praying through motherhood. And she said, well, our our docket is full for books like this, basically, but you do have these back, this background in bioethics and in theology, and you clearly want to write for this, this motherhood-type audience. Is there a book there? And so I thought about it, and I jotted down an outline for it, and then I went into labor, and then I wrote her back from my hospital bed the day my son was born and said, Yes, I do. I have an outline. This would be great. I would love to to write about these things. And um, so it, it kind of took off from there. And basically, we go through anything where sort of medicine, culture, society, motherhood, and, and uh, medical care for women in the process of birth, breastfeeding, reproduction, assisted reproduction, surrogacy, egg donation, even things like cloning, three-parent children, really anything that lives in that space where theology, culture, bioethics, and the beginning of new life kind of intersect. That's Those are some of the things that we touch on in this book, or that I touch on in this book. Your first chapter, I know, is titled The Roots of Our Confusion. And one of the pieces of that is unpacking our cultural narratives. Can you go into that just a little bit? One of the things as a Catholic convert that that I was seeing in in terms of our culture is that just with a lot of sadness is that our our culture seems to say yes, yes, yes to everything. And it appears that the church says no, no, no to all of these different things. And that can feel like, especially with ethical issues, that the church is very repressive and people sort of respond, I think, from, from that assumption. And so one of the things that I hoped to do is to unpack these things and un- just get a little bit deeper into sort of the philosophical assumptions behind, behind our culture's narrative that you can have whatever and be whatever you want and that that is what will make you happy. Because if we dig a little bit deeper into that, we see that that that's not really actually what makes us happy as human beings. And the church for thousands of years has been able to share the really the good news of the message of Jesus that, you know, happiness comes when we pour ourselves out to others. And so instead of being afraid of sacrifice and suffering, for example, uh, and running from it, as our culture kind of encourages us to do, we actually can receive the gift of life that Jesus wants to give us when we imitate him in pouring out of ourselves. Freedom is another notion. The idea is that our culture promotes this idea that to be free is to do whatever you want, when in reality, true freedom comes when we know where we're going, we know the end goal of of who we've been designed to become, and we can actually follow the path that's been laid out for us to get to that end goal. Those are a few of the assumptions that we unpack in chapter one. So one of the kind of topics you dive in to is femininity. And, you know, are there cultural narratives and confusion associated with femininity um, that you can kind of unpack for us here? Because I know that part of what you 
discuss in your book is recovering the feminine and how femininity is truly suppressed, which is, you know, countercultural to what we see in our world right now, that to our world, femininity means doing everything a man can and being exactly equal and in every way. But the church and, you know, Christianity tells us otherwise, not that we're um, not equal in value, but we have unique gifts to bring. And so can you kind of unpack, you know, how do we recover the feminine kind of genius in our culture today? This is actually a great point of personal um, enlightenment for me as I was going through this research, because I, I was looking at well, what what does the church or what have thinkers within the church traditionally upheld as feminine virtues or feminine values or things that, you know, what is this feminine genius? And I was seeing words like docility and humility and obedience and really receptivity, which I think I had a little bit more of a positive notion about, but, but really I was kind of reacting in this emotional way, like these are not good things, but through the process of sort of reading about these and really being able to come to recognize the value of these these different virtues and strengths, I began to think, you know what, maybe it's not that there's a problem with these values at all. Maybe what the real problem is, is that our culture, within our culture, you know, growing up as a woman within our culture, I have been socialized to really denigrate what is feminine and my problem with recognizing these things as as strengths is that I've been told growing up that these things are not strengths. And so I think even, you know, within the women's movement, what what we've had and what has progressed is that we have been taught to idolize men's strengths and to define success as men's success and to, like you said, conform ourselves to be more like men and widespread within the culture that has meant that we have had to conform our bodies to be like those of men. So rather than embracing our natural fertility, our natural cycles, and we are encouraged to to contracept, to make ourselves infertile, to fix something that's not actually wrong with us, and really to see motherhood and to devalue motherhood as something that gets in the way of career success. And we're encouraged to put that off to, you know, the responsible thing for a young woman to do is to get her education, establish her career, and to not let motherhood precede those things. And that's kind of the cultural narrative that we've been asked to buy into. And I think the gift of having written this this chapter in this book is to reimagine or to be invited to reimagine well what is it if if we were going to see a society that's truly affirming of women as women how might we imagine that society a little bit differently so one of the companies i think is really encouraging in that way is is patagonia they have apparently very family friendly policies like on-site childcare, it's commonplace to to be nursing at work. Another department, so on the academic side, less professional, on Notre Dame's campus, it's very common to see women nursing as a part of their education. The families who are on campus pursuing master's degrees or PhDs, there's family housing. And so it's not sort of expected that you 
compartmentalize yourself in these ways. And that's true for the men too, who have young families. So I think those are encouraging signs, but really to be able to, to hold up and value women as women. And another one of the, the more sort of disturbing things that I began to recognize as I was in the midst of looking at these feminine values is that although we see, um, this is a pop culture example, although we see female leading roles in films more often in the past 10 or so years, say, what we see are women who are acting roles, not of women, but who are sort of these masculinized figures. So if you want to look at sort of like Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman or Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow, these action figures that are are female characters in outward appearance, they seem to be not undergoing anything specifically feminine in their character development. And it's even further disturbing to me to see them pitted in these battles with men so that our, we're sort of being socialized to watch men beating up on women and it, with the illusion that women have the, the strength physically to match that. And that is supposed to be okay. That's something we're celebrating as a sign of women's advancement. And frankly, I don't, I don't buy that very much, but I think that's the direction that we're going. It's actually really fascinating to see when you kind of take a step back and you look at all of the confusion happening in our world. When it comes to feminism, it's we have women trying to be men or more masculine in their approach to life. And under the assumption that, you know, to be truly a woman, you have to be able to have the right to abortion, the right to do whatever you want with your body, quote unquote. And you know, you have to be able to pursue your career and kids can't get in the way and you have to kind of push who you are aside. I know that they don't see it that way. But on the other side of the spectrum, we also see a lot of confusion from men. We see, you know, this is kind of where the whole LGBT agenda comes into play is we have a lot of feminine men who are very kind of gender confused. And I know you kind of touch on this in the book at one point, but could you kind of just speak to that? that just that overall confusion that's happening and kind of this reverse order of, you know, men, um, you know, kind of just being very confused in their kind of who they are as men and how kind of this confusion on the feminine side plays into that. When we do lose sort of the the feminine nature of being manifest in, in our culture, you know, men respond and rise really well to the occasion of, of, and the challenge of caring for women and creating a society according to what women call them to do there. And with throughout just the history of literature, we see that kind of that trope being played over and over again. But what we see with women sort of abdicating their responsibility to uphold these morals and things in society is that, and with the widespread use of contraception is that women are really uh, allowing themselves to be used as as objects for sexual pleasure. And so there's sort of a, a devolution of the, the status of women that comes along with widespread use of contraception. And that's, that's really unfortunate. It's really sad. But another even more, or I guess maybe not more, but newer and disturbing trend is these apps that are existing 
that are similar to dating apps, except they, they have names like Maud Emily and Just a Baby. These are apps to find not a dating partner or a sexual partner, not a hookup partner, but a parenting partner. So essentially it's a, a way to break down the traditional conception of the family. So if we think of the family in the, in the Christian tradition, we understand the family as this community of love, that the image of the Trinity where children proceed from really the love of a mother and a father and are the image of God's love um, and, the, and the love that's within the Trinity. And that is such beautiful theology, but it really gets lost when we see this shift in our society that's taking place, especially with sort of technologies like IVF, the use of surrogacy, sperm and egg donors. Children are increasingly being viewed as products, as things to be obtained rather than as gifts to be received. And they're really, rather than a, a way for us as parents to to live this self-giving love that we're called to that leads to our ultimate happiness in Christ. Children are being seen as products to satisfy the desires of their parents. So it's a real twisting of, of the way that that relationship is supposed to be played out. And we're losing a sense of the gifts of both mother and father in these relationships. And of course, we don't want to denigrate the real love that exists in families that are in these, they find themselves in imperfect situations. That happens and that's part of life. What What's happening here though, is that families are being designed to subvert that structure. And so we're creating families with the intention to deprive children of a mother or a father. And that I think does children a real disservice and a real injustice. And we know from the research that there are physical and psychological benefits that children of two-parent households have that that don't exist in single-parent households. They even have higher college graduation rates and things like this. And so there's there are real gifts and benefits to being raised by both a mother and a father. And to overlook those things and create a situation where a child must grow up without one or the other from the outset, I think says that we have not really gone about parenthood in a way where we are first putting the well-being of our children number one, and then sort of following, you know, how do we create the best family from a given situation? Well, and the disadvantage from the outside is, I mean, I, I think it's partly birthed from the lies that we get as, you know, as teenagers. And now, even before that, the lies of kind of the whole contraception mentality that, you know, you can have a, a child when you want to, when it's on your time frame. And, and so it's really kind of fascinating to see how a lot of, of doctors are not really sharing all of the risks associated with contraception and the pill and all the variety of, you know, contraceptive means. But it's almost as if women aren't even really given a chance because when we buy into those lies, there are true long-term health consequences of, 
you know, utilizing contraception for long periods of time, it can make it harder to get pregnant when you're off of contraception. I know so many women who it took them years to get pregnant. And then at that point, that's when women start turning to IVF because they think, well, what's wrong with me? I'm not able to bear children or the higher rate of miscarriages and all of these things that could be resulting from buying into that initial lie that the world is kind of telling us. And so when we look at kind of the the family, I think that is such a unique just angle to see that, you know, when you have the mother and the father and the, the way that God designed for marriage and parenthood. And this kind of leads into the topic I really am excited for you to touch on. Uh, in your book, you talk about kind of the 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 real purpose of parenthood and what kind of can you can you touch on with that and kind of speak into that? Because I think so many of the moms who are listening and families who are listening, I think this is such a important piece that I don't want to miss. So I think one of the ways that we tend to talk about children is in terms of how much we want them or whether we want them. A lot of the research that's out there that's done about how parents feel about being parents is uh, how does does being a parent make you happy? Does it uh, lead to marriages lasting longer? And of course, happy is is measured by however that researcher decides to to uh, measure happiness. So the factors and and sort of self-report questions kind of I think that tends to be a little bit of sort of self fulfilling research that's being done. But if we if we back up and really think about what it spiritually being a parent is, be, becoming a parent is not something that is supposed to satisfy our desires or give us pleasure. Although I would say that there's a, there's a great amount of joy. And I think most moms would say overall, there's a great amount of joy that comes with being a parent. And also, we can sympathize with one another about the real struggles and difficulties that being a parent is, and and within marriage too, it's not always a walk in the park. It can pre- present real serious challenges. But in terms of our eternal goals, if we are people who are looking towards heaven, then I think, like, gosh, there is really nothing that compares with the eternal significance of bringing a new life into this world. Literally, having as parents, having a child is has eternal ripples. That soul is going to exist in and for forever. And ultimately, that child is not really and truly ours in the way that we might think of if we went out to a a clinic, you know, had some embryos fertilized, did the genetic tests, ruled out the ones that are for for various reasons dissatisfactory to us, sort of ordered this product that is to our specifications because that's what we want. That's a very different view than recognizing that, oh my goodness, our, our creator has gifted us with the task of stewarding his child to know him, to love him, to serve him in this world, but ultimately to have forever with him. Because our ultimate goal as parents is to raise children who have a shot of being saints. And that's a huge monumental 
responsibility. I think it's really humbling as a parent, but it's also, I think there's a lot of peace in that, in that recognizing that ultimately the fate of our children is the responsibility of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we have our two cents, our, our last two cents, our two loaves and five fishes, or maybe it's the other way around. But we have, you know, what we can give, and we love these kids as best we can, and it's always going to be imperfect, and we just have to pray for the grace that, you know, we can we can love these kids as Jesus does, and ask that His love makes up for for our feelings and, and all the rest of it. But those are two very very different ways of looking and approaching what it means to be a parent, and I think in in our society, sort of. Because we have this lost sense of the sacred, we tend to see our bodies as these material realities and deny the reality of the spiritual components of ourselves. We're really becoming less human in the sense that we have trouble recognizing the differences between parenthood, say, where we're responsible for stewarding the soul on its way to heaven, and and pet ownership, where we want this cute thing and we do what we need to do to obtain this cute thing and then we kind of get to take it along with us and relate to the other uh, pet owners and take it to the dog park and show it off and and I think less and less we're being able we're losing the ability to, to sort of distinguish between those things and that you hear that term fur babies all the time and like what are we saying when we're comparing our children to these animals that do not have an immaterial soul and and won't have sadly a relationship with our our creator in the same way that we can because we're rational beings because we have souls a dog is great in in the sense of being created by god and and being able to sort of bring joy and perfectly embody what it is that God created that dog to be, but that's not the same as what God created a person to be. When you talk about how we are kind of deny the sacred of who we are and who God created us to be, for our listeners who aren't Catholic or who who don't even, perhaps they are Catholic and they don't understand true NFP or, you know, kind of the different op- alternative, I guess I would say, to contraception, I mean, I think that the church is truly failing married couples and their kind of premarital counseling when they talk about NFP. I mean, my husband and I were kind of just like, they held up a flyer and they said, if you want more info, you know, go to this website. There really wasn't much explained. There wasn't much gone into of why this is important, how we can understand our bodies as women and understand our cycles and how... This can play out in the marriage relationship. So can you speak on kind of NFP or kind of, I guess, in your book, do you touch on what is kind of the alternative? If contraception is not the best for our souls or the best thing for us physically, mentally, all of that, kind of what is your what is your kind of response to that when people ask you? When we look at contraception for our non-Catholic um, Christian brothers and sisters, for for the women and men listening who who really value life, I think the first thing we have to look at is what are the mechanisms of contraception, and what does contraception do to women's bodies and and to babies? And I think a, a real tragedy, even putting aside 
the fact that this isn't well known within the Catholic Church, which is its own set of, of brokenness, it's a real tragedy to see the ways that medicine promotes kind of the party line in terms of contraception. I mean, if you go out there, it's assumed that contraception is, is good for women, is necessary for women, is a right for women. If we look at the mechanisms by which contraception works, most forms of hormonal contraceptives, certainly all forms of IUDs, these are abortifacients, meaning that, that they work often by not preventing conception, which is what you would assume from the word contraception. Oftentimes, conception does happen, and the way that a pregnancy is prevented is through very, very early abortion by preventing implantation. Now, the reason that doctors don't have to disclose this information is because pregnancy has been redefined in medical textbooks as beginning at implantation. So if there's a form of contraception that causes that early abortion, they don't have to call it that because the definition of pregnancy is something that begins not at conception, but at implantation in the uterus. So anything that happens in those first early few days wouldn't count per se as an abortion. And I think that that would be shocking and disturbing if, if women knew that and if that were publicized more. And I think, frankly, that doctors have a responsibility to understand the religious, religious understandings that their patients have in order to really provide what's called um, full informed consent, because what's happening is that so many women don't have that informed consent because they don't know what they're doing. And if they did, they would have made a different choice. On top of that, there has just been a, a flood of research into um, the things that these artificial hormones do to women's bodies. And yet it's not widely publicized. It's not widely known. And, and most doctors don't disclose that information to their patients because they don't have a lot to offer patients who are seeking, might be seeking more natural solutions because again, natural things, they just, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of financial incentive to get the word out as there is about a new drug or this and that contraceptive. There, there are pharmaceutical companies who are very well funded and it behooves them to get the word out about their products, but there isn't as much push for natural products. And so we're, we're the WHO classifies contraceptives as a class one carcinogen, meaning these things, we know that these things cause cancer, but how many women when they're sitting in their, doc in their doctor's office get to have a, a discussion with their doctor about the fact that these pills that they're taking or this device that they're, or this patch or whatever it is, could cause, it, it has a, a significant role to play in their future cancer risks. I think not very many. They can cause blood clots, which I have had not fun, and blood clots can lead to things like stroke and death. And I don't think that these conversations are happening, sadly, unfortunately. And even more tragic is the fact that NAPRO or NAPRO technology is a natural alternative. And so many doctors and patients just don't know that, one, many of the things that women are prescribed contraceptives for, for medical reasons, those could actually be fixed if you address the underlying symptoms. Contraceptives tend to mask 
the symptoms and sort of make things, put things on an even keel so that you don't have to deal with those symptoms. Which for a woman who's really suffering and seeking relief, you know, maybe that's something that comes as a huge blessing to her in her eyes. However, what if instead of masking it, risking all these things, she could actually have some procedure that fixes the underlying condition? That's what NAPRO allows doctors to do. And the same thing with fertility issues, you know, it's about, I think the best numbers we're seeing right now for IVF are 37% effective. For women over 40, that goes down to something like 11% effective in terms of eventually resulting in a live birth. That's how we're defining success. Nebra technology is over 80% effective. And rather than being twelve dollars to $17,000 each cycle, the cost in fixing what has gone wrong and healing the underlying issue with infertility, well, that is usually covered by most medical insurances. So it's it's really, I think, vital that women get their hands on this information so that they can have the freedom to make these decisions themselves. And I think it's important that the doctors and, um, and nurses who work in these spaces, these gynecological obstetric spaces, are, are able to, to look into these things and to you know, make, open up that path for more women because even if a woman knows about that, finding a provider can be really challenging. Uh, if your doctor or your doctors in your area are not able or willing to listen to you and to learn about these things. I think that you're right. The word does need to get out more because it's really not well known. And I think in, you know, the social media world and the world where so many women are harmed by contraception. It it messes with their fertility. And then down the road, when they are ready to have kids, they find themselves having really a, a huge challenge in getting pregnant. So then they turn to IVF and all of these other methods to obtain, you know, what they really desire of having a kid. And now I want this. And so there's a piece to it that I think our culture is ignoring and denying, and it's this idea behind, you know, you you kind of touched on it, how, you know, God created us as feminine beings, and we, ha- we're, we have our fertility. We have these unique aspects of who we are that men don't have, and our culture tells us to shove that away and deny that. But the alternative, you know, from who we are as Christian women, who we are as Catholics is understanding the, that, you know, what Jesus said, this is my body and, you know, it's given up for you. And as a mother, that's essentially what we do is we give up our bodies physically, you know, even emotionally to our children and for the better of them. And we're truly, it's a, it's a sacrificing moment of who you are and it's very humbling. And so those those pieces that you touched on in the beginning of, you know, obedience and humility, these things that our world says are, you know, not very good or aren't the strongest of character, those truly are actually really big strengths in understanding that who you are as a mother is sacrificing your wants, your desires for somebody else. And that's kind of the whole that's the whole purpose behind Christianity, right? Is love God and love your neighbor. And, and you, you go out of your way for other people, but in the sense of motherhood, 
you're sacrificing your body. And one of the the angles I want to discuss just before we end here is your your topic of you know, you touch on this in your book. So I highly encourage people once it's out, go read her book because all of these chapters just sound amazing. But you have this topic on, you know, this is my body embracing the Paschal mystery of childbirth. And also beyond that is my flesh is true food, the Eucharist and bioethics for the nursing mother. So all of these, I know it's a lot to pack into one, but, you know, if you could kind of just give us a short just kind of weigh in on your insight on how does that approach of this is my body and my flesh is true food. How do we approach that, you know, as women, as mothers? It's really beautiful the way that even even going back to medieval Christianity, women have identified their own sacrifice of their bodies with the sacrifice of, of Christ on the cross and the nourishment that Christ offers through his body. Even medieval Christians like Julian of Norwich recognized that as similar to the nourishment women offer to their children through their very own own bodies. And, and that's something that continues today. You know, women recognize themselves and mothers recognize the gift of self that they offer of their very own bodies in those places and in those spaces. And that's something that's really beautiful to pray with. You know, I think it's it's a way that women are especially attacked by Satan is through their bodies and and through these messages that we get in society about what our bodies are supposed to be and how our bodies don't measure up. And I think as women, we are we are so inundated with messages and preoccupied with our own thoughts on the ways that our bodies don't measure up and almost taught to to really identify our value with the way that our body measures up, even if we know that that is not true. And one of the things, especially for mothers, I think that's a real challenge. And I think there's, there are spiritual roots to this challenge, right? Because ultimately Satan was defeated by a woman who said yes to bearing a child. And that act of of pregnancy, of motherhood. I mean, that that yes, and that gift of self of one's body and that sacrifice of one's body is really symbolic of all the feminine virtues of receptivity to the spirit and to God's gifts, of obedience, of, of docility and really going where the spirit is calling. It's an embodiment of all of those things. And motherhood, physical or spiritual motherhood, is an embodiment of our yes to, to God and really, you know, that makes Satan so angry to have been defeated by humility because his big, his big fault flaw is pride. And so to have been defeated by the humility of, of a woman just becoming a vessel for, for God's grace in the world. And so I think we're, we're vulnerable as women to attacks on that and especially to attacks on our, our womanhood and, when we look at our body and we just see it in terms of this very narrow definition of, of what a beautiful body is in the world, I think we miss the true beauty and the significance of this body that bears life and this body that says yes and this body that might become depleted. Literally, physically, we, we, we become depleted through the act of, of self-gift, but we are also so strong in that yes. You know, childbirth is 
highly medicalized in our society and thank God for some of the advances that we have that, that are life-saving. But it's also something that a woman, if necessary, most of the time, like she could do that on her own. Now, it's great that we don't have to do that on her own. I had to labor by myself in the pandemic. Let me tell you, that was not fun. I would not recommend it. But our bodies are made to do this. And it's such a beautiful way that we can really connect with with our, our Lord and our mission as women and, and to imitate Mary's yes and to say, to say yes and to recognize that the losses are the things that the things that we give up, you know, to find more joy in that sacrifice in knowing that it's gone towards something that has eternal meaning than than sadness at you know sort of the, the things that we've lost in satisfying what our culture expects of us. So what is your message then to, you know, women who are kind of bearing the cross of infertility or who have, you know, had miscarriages or lost a child? What's your encouragement and kind of message to them as they walk through that and they have this desire to have more children and they just, it just doesn't seem to work out in the way that they imagine? I don't know that really personally that I have a lot that could say that would be consoling, but but I do know that there's there's such a rich experience of women in the Bible going through that same longing and that same pain and that same hurt and and some of our saints too who prayed for for years and years and so I'm not sure that I have a, a whole lot to offer offer other than just my my deep wish to sort of sit with them in in their struggles and hold them in their pain and. And to pray with them and with the women who have witnessed this very holy longing. And, you know, we don't, we don't always see God's purposes in the different trials and the things that we're asked to carry and bear. And, and yet sometimes we do. And so in the case of, of Hannah, of Rachel, of Elizabeth, we see great fruit of, of and joy coming after these long periods of waiting. And, I do know that God does not let us suffer or allow us to suffer without bringing great good out of it. And so, you know, I would hope to be able to sit with, pray with these women, and then also to learn from them and to hear from them as they reflect on their, on their struggles and their suffering, you know, to what is it that God has done for you or is doing for you um, through this? And, And that's hard, but I think the more that we can bear witness to how God has worked in all of our sufferings in various ways. I think all of that is encouraging to us as a body of Christ. And so I would really hope to hear from those women about that, women who have gone through that and to lift up their voices on that. Yeah. Well, thank you for speaking to that. And just the little bit of encouragement you were able to give, I think that will encourage a lot of women who are listening. So before we end here, you know, can you just you know, if people want to learn more about your book or listen to your podcast or read your blog, where can they go to do that? Brave New Us is the podcast. It's available on all podcast platforms, you know, subscribe, rate, review type of thing. Um, MamaPraise.com is the shortcut to my author website. You can get, you know, details about me if you care to read any of those things. Also, my my writings, my stuff about blogging about praying through motherhood that's also a podcast and just 
you want to get information, uh, follow up about the book, I have a newsletter in, at mamapraise.com. Pretty much every, all, everything can be accessed there. So you can get a link to the podcast. And when the book comes out, it will certainly be up there. So, yeah, I would love to have people join me and uh, follow along with this crazy uh, journey of trying to raise kids and write about that while also exploring these issues that come up in bioethics. Well, I think it's inspiring talking to you. And when we talk about, you know, how women can kind of embrace the feminine genius, it's inspiring talking to you because here you are a mom, you're homeschooling, but you're also still involved in kind of the academic um, circuit of writing and blogging and podcasting, and you're still doing a lot of things to influence and make a difference in the world. So I think that's encouraging to our listeners to know that we can embrace the feminine genius and still have ripple effects in the world with our kids and beyond that of using the unique gifts that God has given us to make a difference and to utilize those how God wants, you know, to bless bless it and and utilize it for good. So thank you for just, you know, doing what God has called you to do and utilizing your unique gifts for writing and just inspiring others. And we're just so grateful for your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for for having me. If there is a mom out there who's wondering about those things, I, I love to help people with their passions and stuff. So you could shoot me an email and we can talk about how, how to fit all those things in. And if I, if this, it's an, another, uh, I guess Jennifer Fullweiler called it your blue flame, but like this passion that you have to to bring joy in the world. I mean, we're all called to to give in our own way, the way that God has created us to. And there are many examples of, of women and men who are doing that in the world. And I'm really grateful to have the chance to be one of them and to share with you, who I know is also answering that call in the world. And so thank you. Well, thank you so much. And thank you everyone for listening today to the Ladies of Life site. And be sure to send us an email if you have any questions or any future topics that you'd like to hear. Uh, you can email ladies at lifesitenews.com. Thank you so much and have a great week.